Salofa and welcome to the Samoan Scientist podcast. Today we're chatting to Julia Arnotnini, who is a global social strategy lead at HP. And she's actually got a really interesting story to tell us because she's in tech at the moment, but that wasn't what she studied at university. So welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No, thank um, you. Yeah, spot on. I did not study tech at uni or in high school. Mm. Um, and it's not actually where I started out my career to begin with. But it is where I'm at at the moment. So um, I started out in Auckland, here in Auckland, in Graylin. Um, my dad's from oh, Apia. Yeah, That's my... just up the road for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, my dad's from Apia in Samoa. Um, he came over here when he was... I think he was brought over when he was about 11 or 12. He was the eldest okay. of five. Yeah. Him and his younger brother, his, his first younger brother, they were kind of sent out to New Zealand sort of as a quite a common story to like mm. develop a better life, um, look at ways in which to support the family. Um, and so he came out um, when he was a youngster. And subsequently, I ended up growing up here with my mum in Greylin and went to Maristown Bay for a little bit, mm -hmm. right near Greylin Park. Then also went to Ponsonby Intermediate. I always yes. wanted to go there. Oh my yes. gosh. <laughs> because I, at the time, it was like such a cool school. But yeah. yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, so I went there for a little bit. Um, and then I moved down to Christchurch for a bit with mum. Back, did some uni in Wellington, Auckland. Mm. Life goes on. But what I did end up studying um, was political science, funnily enough, media and communications, mm. and marketing. That was uh, after a first kind of not failed, but I, I dabbled in law and psychology and realized oh. it just wasn't my jam. Like I couldn't do all that reading. Um, and so I um, opted for more like creative subjects, basically, yeah. um, where there was a lot of critical thinking and it was a bit more abstract, I guess you could say, and conceptual than it was like uh, reading and regurgitating like hard knowledge and applying yeah. it to different situations. True. So that's how I kind of started to understand what worked for me mm. so in high school did you enjoy like the english and like history and stuff like that yeah. is that what yeah i definitely about? love classics um english i loved english actually there's some awesome teachers which mm. which make a, a huge difference obviously um and i i tried to start out in in my uh i think it was my year 12 degree i was going to do physics chemistry bio yeah. stats and then you do like one arts paper i mm. think some mm. sort of an arts paper I really tried. I wanted to be a neuroscientist. Wow. Yeah, I was like the person at the top of the road in Greylin had a massive house. And I was like, mom, what does he do? She's like, he's a brain surgeon. Right. I was like, I'll right. be that. Nah. <laughs> did, you, <laughs> did not. Turns out I, I, I didn't gel too well with those subjects. I found right. them. There was a lot. It was like quite a struggle for me. I think I was also quite a... Uh, vivacious in the classroom and okay. the teachers wanted me to be a bit more quiet so <laughs> I um, moved away from those sort of like the core sort of STEM subjects you could say or like early early subjects that get you into STEM sort of focused careers so my kind of I guess you could say what I really want to get across to young people now is, is STEAM which is obviously science tech engineering, arts, and mm -hmm. mathematics. Mm -hmm. Because the application of arts is just as important in the tech world as it is in any other, and as, as any other one of those pillars, basically. And that's what I ended up discovering throughout my journey. Mm. So when you go 
into university and you kind of thought, okay, I'm not going to be a neurosurgeon. What, what were you setting out to become at university? So my uh, belief, you could say as a little um, 19-year-old, was I wanted a career that um, basically was a way in which to enable purpose and profession. Okay. And that's what I was really trying to, if you think about it from like a Venn diagram, mm-hmm. it was like something in there. Okay. I don't really know what that is, but that's what I'm really looking for as a foundation of what I want my career to be about. And what was your purpose? My purpose was always about community. Okay. It was always about helping others and doing good. Um, I've always really wanted to be a great thinker and use that in which to empower, inspire, encourage um, you know, develop ways for others to get ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really, really important to me. And that's something that I was brought up with by my mother. Mm-hmm. I was very much conditioned around um, ethics and values and doing good. And then also I think it's just very natural from a cultural standpoint, which is a lot more of a collective mindset, community-focused, obviously, family-orientated. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason why I ended up choosing tech is I, I always aspired to work in the category but I never really had the confidence Mm. so I started out in advertising and I was working in creative industries and the I was always learning about human behavior Mm. and what drives change what drives people to do what they're doing and I saw tech as the fast moving kind of like the glitzy glamorous Mm. um, the really edgy category to work in but all I ended all I believed was that it was Asians white people right and the people who got the really really high grades in school right and that wasn't me Mm. and I had um when I was applying for roles in tech it was it was it was purely out of just like rolling the dice of luck like just I'll give it a crack Mm. I'll just I want to get in there I'm scared. I don't think I will. I don't think they're going to accept me. I don't think I'm allowed, mm. but I'll try. And that's kind of how I ended up moving into the industry, first off. And how long did it take you to kind of get over that perception of that text for white people, Asians and smart people? Yeah. Because perceptions are quite like ingrained, aren't they? Oh, and opinions mm. and that, that inner mind is quite strong sometimes. Oh, massively. Yeah, yeah so... When I, it was really intense during the interview process. So there was eight, Mm. I had eight, I mean, sorry, eight weeks, five interviews. Each interview, I had to like really prepare myself that I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, just constantly to get through each interview. Then there's an actual come down of like, oh, I screwed it up. I didn't say this. They don't think I'm good Mm. enough. Mm. And then, so that was like, so if you think about that, it's like a two month period. Once I got the job, then imposter syndrome really kicked in. It was like, they are going to find out. They're going to find out for sure. They, they're going to know. They're going to, I'm going to, there's going to be an email. They'll be like, we made a mistake. Sorry, you, your, 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 your school grades weren't good enough. Like, it's like, mm. they'll like backtrack on it. And so that lasted for at least six months. Every day I would have to just wake up and be like, I'm allowed to be here. I'm allowed to be here. And I even had signs just saying you are good enough. And like I had to really coach myself to break down mm. those pre-existing misconceptions, break down my own like limiting beliefs and form new ones. And it was just through like battling through, to be honest with you. There's no two ways about it. It was just like 
you got to get up and get to work mm. and you and you 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 want to perform like don't let yourself down don't let yourself down don't let your family down don't let you know what you're working towards which is showing that you can be in this room to others because this is community work it's maybe it's not direct but it's indirect for when you get to tell your story and hopefully that can touch somebody else mm. and that's what was always resting on my mind is like you are not just doing this for you there is a greater purpose so get up like get up and get to work wow. and looking back now did did you do you think the people there kind of thought you weren't allowed to be there like or did they not care or I, I don't know where I ever actually asked them that like direct yeah. question I think there was I was obviously a New Zealander before because I was working in London right so my first tech okay, job okay. was in London so I applied from Sydney and the role was for London and they moved me to London oh. so the first thing that they saw was that I was a New Zealander okay and so that was almost kind of liberating from me being worried about them judging me for being a Pacific Islander mm. because that didn't even enter no. into their thoughts no. it would have happened if it was in New Zealand yes, yes. Yeah. But because the first cultural barrier for them to overcome was like, wait, where are you from? She talks different. Yeah. What <laughs> yeah. did she just say? Yeah. <laughs> did, was that a swear word? No, it wasn't. Okay. Sorry. It was your accent. My bad. Um, so I think for me, again, it was just, it was, it was my own perceptions and my own fears getting in the way yeah. of myself. And once I held my own and I, and I started demonstrating value and I just, held true to again the characteristics that are very ingrained in us culturally just like warmth empathy compassion kindness generosity of spirit all of these things once i recognized that you know i was actually hired for my soft skills probably almost more than or at least equal to my hard skills for this environment mm. because this is a tech company that is started with engineers now, engineers are fantastic human beings at what they do. Doesn't mean they know how to translate engineering jargon and theory into selling a product that touches the hearts and minds of human beings. Mm -hmm. That's a different skill set. And that's why it's so important for, I think, the youth of today to understand that there has to be, there is the convergence between soft skills and hard skills, to use those terms. And your soft skills are worth the same amount of weight as a hard skill mm. in these environments. Mm. And that's what I started to really, like, really open my eyes to like, I really do deserve to be in here. Mm. Because I used to think that being kind and being caring in the workplace meant that you were weak and that you would get eaten alive. Mm. And it's probably still true. Like I probably still get, will get eaten alive. <laughs> but I know that it's, it's so important nowadays. And, and times are changing, mindsets are changing. Um, how, what businesses are looking for is really changing, especially with the rise of AI and the fact that so many sort of like uh, skilled jobs are being replaced by um, technology. Mm -hmm. And the thing that technology cannot do yet, yet, is this soft skill space. It cannot add context to things the way a human can. Mm. It cannot read through situations like a human being can. Mm. So it means that we're even more valuable than what we would have been maybe like 10 years ago, five mm. years ago, even three years ago. Because this, this is a coming of age piece that's happening right now. Mm. So you're saying that to people or to the next generation is to really hold on to 
our culture yes because it is valued in this kind of western workspace yes even though we might not necessarily think it is because you know even just sharing food or yes. having like a conversation around the table at lunch they're valuable skills within the workplace oh you will make you will get yourselves leaps ahead by doing those things mm. because again everything comes down to being a human yes your boss may be a boss but they are still a human they still you can still speak to them about their family just as you would between yeah. you and I right yeah. yeah just as you would with somebody who's a stakeholder that you need to get them to like your idea to get it across the line there'll be ways in which you speak to them first on a human level mm. as much as you will on a business level those two things are not separate and and some people obviously are moving into the workplace where they're like I will only have a professional mindset and I will just bring my professional self to work Yes. But there's a new body of research that's demonstrating how that impairs their creativity and impairs their output and it impairs collaboration. Mm. Because again, you're only presenting like one front and you're not necessarily tapping into your authentic self. Mm. And you will and those conversations are starting to become more and more popular and not even moving from a conversation to action to actual we hire for people that are diverse and unique because we celebrate that we include that we want that we don't want you to just leave your passions and your purposes at the door when you walk into this office we want them to come in with you because we know that means you're your best self mm. and it means you're going to be more engaged at delivering when we care about the things that you care about when we support you and what you care about you want to work harder for us therefore we get our outcome that mm. we're wanting everyone's happy but this is new. It's very, very new. Yes. I was just going to say, coming from like a biological science background, there's none of that. Yeah, wow. Um, it's very, you demonstrate your worth from the papers you published mm. and how you're able to communicate that yeah. to other scientists. Yeah. But I think this is really encouraging. So this is quite prominent in the tech world, right? Yeah. Yes. And from it's, your experience. Yeah. And honestly, like, I know a lot of companies are on the journey to this because okay. they call okay. it, there's all these like <laughs> jargony words, workplace of the future. Okay. Like that's one term they use, or workforce of the future, or oh. how do you attract millennials and Gen Zs? Mm. And the premise and the, and the kind of like, again, what research has demonstrated to us is that millennials and Gen Z, they care about purpose so much more than generations before them. They want that out of their profession and they want their company that they work for to care about the world. They want them to care about social impact. They want them to care about sustainability. They want them to have community outreach programs. They want to have a collaborative environment. They want to be able to have side hustles alongside their day jobs. And when the demand of the workforce is asking for this and we make up the bulk of the workers right now, a company has to change because mm. otherwise you're going to have no talent and your talent retention is going to be really poor. And so unless you start delivering against these key values of our generation, mm. you, you will be getting, you won't be getting top talent and every company wants top talent, right? And so, and by the way, everyone is top talent. Just, that's just, just does not let anyone feel like, I don't think I'm top talent. <laughs> you are, you are. But it's just that, um, in order to get, because it's we're, we're going through a situation where there's a massive skills gap and there's a skills shortage across oh. the world as well. Like the, there, 
the needs of like the technological like transformation in businesses there's not enough people to serve the transformation that's needed of the business to stay um, ahead of the game and ahead mm. of their competition so it means with a shortage obviously with scarcity that um, you you're able to have a little bit more bargaining power right if you are okay. in like different niche areas if you're able to sort of tap into industries or, or um, roles that are kind of in high demand mm -hmm. so you can be going into environments and really like you've at least got to know your worth nowadays because mm -hmm. it's you you know um, I think especially when I first started out you're made to feel like you should be so lucky to have this job. Mm. You should be so grateful that I picked you. Yeah. And it starts yeah. to create like a really psychological sort of unsafe environment when you're like constantly feeling like, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I, I mean, we're all stoked to have our jobs anyway, mm. right? Like we're all genuinely pretty stoked to get a to get a job and to be able to be seen as worthy. Like that's amazing. And then to be making money mm -hmm. too. Um, but I don't necessarily think that's a way in which to manipulate young people mm. into being like almost just to cut them uh, so to cut themselves short, right? You know. So I think um, it is new, and I feel like it will become more and more visible in certain areas um, as I guess the trend. Although it's, I think it's more than a trend. The truth starts to spread. And, and, and companies begin to change because it's kind of like a domino effect or, or it's like the bell curve, right? There's always early adopters yeah. and then it moves into the mainstream um, and then there's the laggards at the tail end, but they'll get left behind. Mm. Like companies that are, that are not changing and are not shifting their talent programs, their employee engagement programs, um, the way in which they kind of like offer packages. Mm. Um, with the companies that don't start doing that, now uh, will be left behind or they just won't be getting people applying for them. So you said before that you were previously working in Sydney in mm -hmm. Australia and then you moved to London. Mm -hmm. So you've got quite like a worldly perspective of what the tech companies want, I guess. So how did you kind of, how did you start traveling, like moving to Australia and being afford to go there and get a job mm -hmm. overseas? How did that come about? So um, my mum is British. Mm -hmm. So I have a British passport through my mum. Oh, and that's good. Yeah. yeah. And to be honest with you, it's I was fortunate enough that my mum is like university educated and she always <sighs> really set the bar high. Mm -hmm. She was like, you will get to London. For me, your success is getting to London. Mm, okay. and, and it's terrifying as a young <laughs> person, like totally. <laughs> I was like, how the heck am I going to get there? How do you earn enough money to live? Because we yeah. didn't. Again, we didn't have a lot of money, but she had expectations. Yeah. And she's like, my father came here and he started a concreting business out of the war, Julia. If he can come from the war mm. as a pilot, come out to New Zealand and make his way and start his own business and, you know, not necessarily overly successful, but he made something of himself. And yes, it was as a concreting man and, and, and no, that's not very glamorous, but he worked hard and that's what you have to do. And, you know, my mum will sit into the garage as, a, as like a eight-year-old to do her homework that she didn't even have. Because mm. it's like her father was like, you will go to university. I don't know what you need to get in there because right. he never went. Right. He's just like, you will do it. So the bar was kind of just naturally set higher yeah, and higher, higher yeah. as the generations went down. And my mum wasn't given a silver spoon at all. Mm. And she went to the library every single day, never socialized, never drank, never partied, never 
didn't have any friends in uni because her the expectation that was placed on her by her father was you will get this degree you will be the first in our family mm. and we want you to get a job because you need to get accepted by New Zealand you are british and New Zealand doesn't accept you wow yeah so that was the first sort of like level of racism that she experienced um mm. around being a foreigner in New Zealand where she was being brought up as a, a british child and the kiwi kids were like what the hell are you wearing why are you wearing frilly socks why have you got shoes on why are you in a little dress why is your hair toy tied up like that because again it's different it's different and they don't know it and so my mum went through her own sort of adversities and challenges and then when it came to me and and my education she sacrificed everything to try and double down on giving me the best education that she could mm. like everything all of her like I guess you could say all the bulk of her salary was going into tr- spending money on like putting me into a really good school and although I wouldn't have like the latest uniform I at least I was in the school right and I had to prove to her that I was like arrow like return on investment was happening like yeah yeah and I didn't really do that because I was kind of like into sport <laughs> and I like, you know, whatever. But I mean, hey, look, I made it. I made yeah, it now. Exactly. I mean, in her eyes, I've made it now. Yeah. So she set these expectations really from a really early age. Yeah, I mean, I was just playing netball yeah. and touch and volleyball, which wasn't her plan. She used to come to assemblies and be like, why aren't you up there? But like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, Mom. They forgot my name. Honestly, I don't know what happened. Um, so she set the expectations really high, which then... For me, I guess it was you could, in in those moments you either kind of like break or you just mm, it's a lot of pressure. absorb mm. and try and do it. So I um my dad lives in Sydney, so my mum and my oh, dad split cool. when I was really really young. Okay. So the first thing I did was I just applied for jobs from Auckland and then I moved with, in with dad mm. um for the first 6 months of me living in Sydney. Mm. So I was I was um allowed a landing pad, you could probably say. Which was yes. obviously being able to live with dad, um, which gave me like that support and meant that the relocation costs, because relocation costs are oh always tough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, that softened the blow. Good. And then when I went from Sydney to London, obviously the British passport helped, but also um, when you're in environments where you can apply for overseas roles, normally there's a relocation package that is attached to you getting the job. So you may have a salary and the bonus may be we'll pay for your flights mm-hmm. or we'll help you have 30 days of living costs mm-hmm. or there's a sign-on package or something like that that will again help to give you a landing pad so that the again so you're not kind of starting off with back back foot yeah exactly yeah. exactly um, and that comes from working with sort of more uh, established companies okay. so like some of the bigger companies are able to do that smaller companies again it becomes um, so privilege kind of really starts to show because mm. you know my first job in Greylin and Ponsonby actually at, at an advertising company we were paid two hundred dollars a week no a month two hundred dollars a month we were paid for our internship and again if you so I lived with family mm. and mm. and didn't have to pay rent yeah um, because that was the only way I could survive yeah was it a week or a month it was it was again either way it was terrible. For an internship, for for a prestigious, let's call it that, a prestigious like company, and they're just completely taking the Mickey out of you. Because again, how would somebody from a lower socioeconomic background or from a family who cannot 
sort of survive without like mm. the child's contribution into the family pool of money, right? If you cannot contribute, how, how do you get the opportunity to get the next opportunity to get the next one? Because it is a domino effect. Once one door opens, another door can open and another door exactly. can open. It's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. And it's not necessarily, I mean, I know overseas is a problem that's being talked about a lot more. Because in London in particular, the cost of living in London is horrific. But then the competition for jobs is so high that again, wow. you you get these unpaid internships or you get these like like slave labor type internships, which go to those that are coming from privileged backgrounds. Mm. Because they're the only ones that can afford to live in London to get this prestigious Experience. job. Mm. And so the cycle continues. Um, when you were working in Ponsonby, did you get the experience though, even though you were paid nothing? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that set me up really well. Um, it did. Yeah, it because off. it was, yeah, it, it definitely paid off. Um, I know it meant that I, you know, having been getting into that tier at a young age right. is like you must have some level of raw talent because you don't have experience behind you, right? No. You just have raw no. talent and hunger. So if you're if a prestigious company picks you off that, then it looks, and I, unfortunately these things matter obviously that it, for other companies that then if you go apply for other companies afterwards they're like wow, okay there must mm. be something in there for them to see that straight mm. out of university right? Mm. Yeah. Oh so that was after your three years of your bachelor's? Yeah so I did a double degree so I did okay. a bachelor of um, commerce and a bachelor of arts so that was four years. Oh okay. Yeah. Yeah, did a double. And then you did internship in marketing yeah. afterwards. Yeah, oh, okay. and advertising, yeah. Advertising. Yeah. Is that a common, um, how do you say, like path that you did internship after your degree or you didn't know what you wanted to do so you thought, oh. Oh, it was a graduate program. So oh, okay. it was a full, sorry, I should say. Yeah, sorry, sometimes I interchange those. Two. Yeah, it was a graduate program. So that led me into a job which they did me mm. into another job so it was a full-time position mm -hmm. um but yeah you were paid that small amount mm. for a good uh, a good proportion of that time right oh my gosh yeah so i think it's changed now i think they've been forced to change their ways yeah because it was pr yeah that was like five years ago and i okay. think maybe like last year they just started paying graduates uh, like a full salary for the full term that they're underneath their program yeah because i know when i've done my summer studentships just over the christmas break we're paid quite well mm, wow yeah I, I can't remember how much but it was like enough to you know help family and to have some money aside yeah. as well no so. this was terrible <laughs> to end, yeah, it was not it was not even enough to pay rent anywhere oh my gosh terrible mm. so when you have this kind of marketing um background mm. So you did that in Sydney and then in London as well? So London is when I got my first tech job. London was your first tech job. Yeah. So then how did you transition from your kind of arts background to the tech? I just, instead of trying to change me, I recognised that that was the need that they were buying. They needed more creative and arts backgrounds mm. in their company because they weren't resonating with hearts and minds. You may have a fantastic product, you may have a fantastic report, but if you cannot translate that into the audience's language, it doesn't go anywhere. So HP as a company were like, we need more people from diverse backgrounds. We want some more people from the creative industries to come into the group so that there is, uh, there is different minds influencing what is subsequently shown out as consumer-facing like 
campaigns, products, language, whatever you may call it. So I had to, I think my, my biggest, one of my first lessons of moving into the tech world is if you round your edge, you lose your edge. And what I mean by that is I went into this job thinking, man, I got to start blending in, you know, I got to wear like a white shirt and like physically blending. in. Yes. No. Oh. Well, um, both sides of things, like looking oh. more corporate, looking more oh, tech, yeah, 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 looking yeah. like yeah. speaking more techie, all yes, that other yes. stuff. And that's what I mean by blending in. Yeah, that was a fail. Like day wow. three, I was like, this isn't going to work because I'm stifling myself. And also it means why would you hire me? If I've lost my unique like proposition, if I've lost mm. my personality, then why did, what, what did they hire me for? If I'm becoming like everybody else, then you're, they should have just kept everyone else and they shouldn't add another human being. You're hired to add value out of what you bring to the table. Mm. So I had my first lesson was rather than trying to shun my artsy background now because I was in the tech world, I, wanted, I needed to harness that. Because that's what they didn't have, mm. right? They didn't have that experience and that knowledge and that um, uh, basically context and way of thinking. So rather than trying to like fit myself into a box, yeah. I just had to own the fact that I was outside of the box and that's what I was hired to do. Mm. And so my first sort of like, I guess you could say, <laughs> how did I move from arts to tech or from marketing into tech was to just stay true to myself and back myself. And um, back the decision that, that these leaders had made mm. to bring me on board, that there was a reason why. And it wasn't to become, again, it wasn't to round, to round out my edges so that I knew, no longer had a, like something that was very different. Because that's mm. what you need. That's diversity. That's neurodiversity, um, which is really, really important for innovation. So you didn't have to take a course or another year of study. You just realized that there was a need in a tech company to have a more human approach. approach. And you kind of, I don't know, took the leap? Or like, Massively. Yeah. <laughs> like, Massively. Just, just like, <laughs> and they, honestly, the first thing that someone's, my, my subsequent manager said to me is like, so why did you apply for this role? And I just went, because it didn't say you couldn't. Right. And he's like, right. Okay. And I was like, that's all that was in my head. It was like, there was no no. So the worst that was going to happen is that I'd hear a no. But if I've at least got a, a, like a crack in a window, mm. I'm going to try and push it open. Do they have any like... Qualif you know how they have the typical qualifications. Do they have that on the job application? Yeah. Yeah, but Just, you still went. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, because, again, I was university educated. I, I'd got some of my degrees. Didn't say you needed to have a background in tech. I think it was, like, preferable. Oh, yeah. But, again, yeah. it was, like, if you're the right fit, and, and again, that's, that's that thing of, like, you've got to back yourself and just give it a crack. Mm. Because unless you, if you don't put your hand up, no one's going to pick you. You have to still put your hand up to get picked. And I think that's the hardest thing for a lot of people to try and overcome is like... Yeah, how do you do that? Well, yeah, blind faith, just like... <laughs> honestly, it was a little bit like... I sat there one Sunday afternoon for six hours. Okay. I redid my resume mm -hmm. for like maybe three. And then for the rest of the three, I just went apply, 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 type, 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 apply, 
try this, apply, try that. Maybe I wow. should talk about You just have to be, I mean, and maybe it was because I had so much pressure on my shoulders uh-huh. that it just drove me. But you have to be self-driven. And that's just so critical. You will not get things handed out to you in life, ever. Mm. And, I, and, I, and, and you have to go chasing things. And so I was writing, like, sending videos to people in San Francisco. I was trying to, like, get really freaking creative to cut the noise and for someone to pick me. I wrote CVs that were very funky. Like, very <laughs> funky. <laughs> um, I'm like, looking back, I'm like, wow, that was so bold. Um, I had, like, maps on them and stuff. I was, like, talking about oh. how... Yeah, I, like, basically went in with the premise of, you know, the world used to believe that Earth was flat. Yeah. And it was through changing... Some people still believe that. Exactly. No, but, yeah, exactly. but anyway. <laughs> Side note. Um, it was through changing the perceptions did we become to understand the world was round. Yeah. So my proposition to a company was, how are you shaping the minds of people that are perceiving you? Mm. And that was like, I was like, hey, pick me. I'll do it. Wow. <laughs> um, but that's, I just had to get super creative. And again, I honestly believe that like, not having all the resources handed to you being a bit desperate, being gritty, being tenacious, that leads you to the best outcomes and the best ideas. Because mm. you've got your back against the wall a bit. And I know that I knew that from, you know, coming from really tough times where we were worried about, you know, does mum have any work going on? Will she get another job? Mm. My dad wasn't really very present for a lot of my childhood. And so, I mean, I know what it's like to be in, like, tough tough times and my, my version of tough times obviously mm. many people would have gone through worse mm-hmm. and you get creative on how the hell you get out of it right and you don't let it break you mm-hmm. and so that's kind of I just I would have applied for at least from anywhere from 50 to 100 roles and only heard back from two right and got one so that's what the hustle is like oh mate seriously you cannot think that just applying for 10 jobs is going to get you anywhere. Right. You get no replies. Right. You get an automatic reply or you get a straight up rejection. Mm. Sometimes you hear back. But that's that's the kind of, again, what's the ratio for that? I mean, I don't know all this. That's not my forte. Maybe that's someone else's yeah, on this forte. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you can't, you, you have to have a wow. strong back to do this and be really resilient to rejection. That's, that's just part of the game but you have to just again back yourself back yourself back yourself and I am again I I mean from the 50 to 100 sort of like jobs I would have applied for hearing back from two one of them I had they said to me they wanted to have an interview and they never followed up again so that was like disappointing and then the other one was HP wow that I actually forgot I had applied to <laughs> out of your 100 applications. Yeah, I mean, this was a lot. And I went on the first call and the guy was ringing from Romania and I was thinking, shit, did I apply for a job in Romania? Romania. What have I done? <laughs> what? And then had the first call, passed that, had the second call, passed. Each time I was like, there's no way this is going to work out. There's no way. And then I started really praying, like really, really, like at the end of my bed every night being like, Please, please, mm. please. I can see it. I believe it. I can, I, mm. I, please. And um, yeah, I got it. And I just, I will never forget that moment. I just, it was, it was like some, it felt like it was coming from another place. Cause I was like, what are the odds that this is my chance? And it was with that, that I just was like, 
I have to remember that the, unless I put my hand up, it's like no one's going to signal. I won't get the feedback unless I put the signal up. And I can't, I cannot go about life thinking that I can just walk around with my hands down and my hands in my pocket and just be like, yeah, man, everything's just going to play out. It's like, no, I have to, there's the balance between being the driver and the passenger and like, you know, making a plan, but also being open to like circumstances that you wouldn't have planned for, right? You have to remain adaptable and flexible, though that at least starts with a bit of like, I want to go for this. I'm going to go for it. No matter what happens, all the reject, the 99 rejections I did get, I got the one that changed my life forever. When you're going through that process of applying for jobs and getting those rejection letters, were there any other support that you had to help you through those times? Because it's like really, yeah, it takes a lot to get those rejection letters. I had some good friends because you start to feel embarrassed big time. I think embarrassment and shame. Like you're a failure? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not good enough. I'm a failure. How do I tell my friends that I keep failing? Yeah. And I had an awesome flat I was in with three other mm. three other awesome women who they just really helped me through that time and they just reminded me like and a, a best friend actually who you met Arietta Arietta from Palanoa. Oh my I, oh my gosh yeah. yes that's right yeah because I saw your profile yeah yeah yeah, ah, yeah she's my best friend she's basically worry. like my other half she's she's like me she's like I feel like she's honestly oh part of gosh. me but she's my other half. Oh, and so she is, was the backbone to my existence, mm. especially because we we're both living in Sydney at that time. Mm. And she just, you know, you, you, yeah, friends, friends for me counted for everything in that moment because it was like, just keep going. And I don't even know if I told them what I'd done. Right, <laughs> right. Um, I just kind of like, again, it was like one of those like out of body experiences. I was like, who did that? Yeah, okay. Um, but friends count for a lot and you have to let them in because it's really hard to take on this on your own. It's a lot mm. to take on on your own. And you need friends and you recognize who are the right friends in that moment too that like yeah. pick you back up. Yeah. Say, you got this. You're the bomb. Don't yeah. let that stop you, you know? And like those are the friends that you realize are the ones you want around you for the long haul. Mm-hmm. Not the friends that are like, ha ha, and they give you that like mean humor where they take the mickey out of you. And they think it's funny, but it's actually really hurtful. Mm. Nah. So I mean, you just don't reply to that, right? You just kind of leave them. Yeah. And yeah. that. Yeah. Like, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got Goodbye. It. Yeah. Bye, Felicia. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Because that is, yeah, I'm just thinking it's quite a tough process. And I think it's really important that you mentioned how many applications you actually applied for and you only got offered two and then one didn't reply back. One just went into no man's land where they said Mm. they're just too busy, which they are. Mm. Um, But when you're like, you're putting your heart and soul on the line, you know, it's it's tough. Mm. It's super tough. And another point that you made, which I kind of, what I think you're saying is that to really celebrate your uniqueness mm-hmm. when you talked about in the workplace that you try to fit in where what everyone was wearing in tech but you thought no they hired me for myself for mm-hmm. my own self and I think that's really important for us indigenous people you know to not leave our culture at the door mm. um, that's uh, yeah especially in science because I'm wanting Maori scientists to have that indigenous knowledge mm-hmm. so even Physically, mm-hmm. you don't have to. Nah. Yeah, which I thought was really interesting. Look, I'm wearing a dress with strawberries right yes. now, right? I mean, it's pretty whack, but I'm all about it. 
And it's things like that. Like I used to walk in with like bows on my head, like bright lipstick, colorful blazers. Cause I'm like, this is me. This is me. And yes, I maybe like make you go, oh, far out. That's a bit out there. But like, yeah. And I'm allowed to be here just like you are with your plain blue suit, your plain white tie. I mean, your plain white shirt and your tie. We're both allowed to be here. And so now how do you navigate the tech space? being okay with you, being comfortable, comfortable in my yeah. own skin yeah <laughs> and I just go <laughs> balls to the wall let's go nah, I, I mean I am I definitely obviously there's there's ways in which you need to navigate more formal situations right you know there's like I mean I'm not gonna just rock up to like a, a formal graduation ceremony right and like look like I don't make it I'm not making an effort, effort to celebrate what we're celebrating right that's not that's not what I'm saying at all but I definitely own the space that I am deserving to own. And whether that be wearing um, strawberries on a dress or like wearing no makeup some days, full face the other days, whether or not it's wearing like a hoodie um, and kind of looking like I'm rocking the 90s vibe mm. or sometimes in a nice blouse or something like mm. I, you are. I am, you are, you are mm. a multidimensional, multifaceted human being. And that is facts, mm. straight facts. So before anyone tries to say that you should fit into a one dimensional box, you remind them of that point. Mm. And I think that's again, just like, I've had to learn this through trial and error, through seeing how others own their own uniqueness. And being okay. inspired and reminded, that's the way to go. That is it. That is living. Mm. Living is not blending in. Living is standing out in whatever way that looks like for you. Mm. And I really started to see that so much more in London because there's just, people are just bold. And right. I, I was like, yes. I mean, my, yeah. and I think that in New Zealand, sometimes, we don't. no, exactly. <laughs> We're not bold. No, well, yeah. And, I, and when you don't see it, you don't want to be it. Exactly. And that's exactly. why coming home and being home right now, I'm like, don't cave, Julia. Like, remind yourself of all the right. growth. Remind yourself of your growth and your right. expansion and, and the things that you loved about living in these other places are what you can bring back here so that you can encourage somebody else to be unique because you're remaining unique. Mm. You remain vulnerable. You allow space for others to be vulnerable. You remain goofy, but also serious. Mm. So then you give other people the space to do that. Like if I start caving, then who knows what the domino effect will be. And if I don't cave, who knows what the domino effect will be. And it's like, for me, it's also just having my integrity intact and knowing that no matter what happens, if I knew in that moment I was being 100% me and 100% true to myself, I will have no regrets. Mm. Because if I lose sight of that and I was 50% myself, then I will think if I, there's a negative outcome, oh man, if only I was myself. Right. But if I was 1,000% right. myself in that moment, in that space, and it all turns to shit, I'll be like, well, wasn't for me. Mm. But at that's... least I was me. Yes. Because but at least that was me. Yeah. Because yeah. that's all you have. That's literally the only thing you're going to go to the grave mm. with is how you held yourself in life. Got it. And so what would your job look like in a like day to day? Oh, man. So my job right now is called 
uh, obviously we talked about Global Social Strategy Lead, and it's focused on digital intelligence. So, for example, that means if you wanted to find out every time Amy was mentioned online, I would use AI and work with my tool to basically go Amy in, in, in quotations and part of a logic, and it would pull all publicly available data from social media channels, blogs, news forums, anything with an open API. Mm -hmm. Every time Amy was mentioned in say the last 24 hours, I would get that pulled into a dashboard and we would have data that we can then analyze and look at. Amy is mostly mentioned in Auckland between the hours of 7 a.m. and 8 a.m. The, the sentiment is mostly positive, but there's a lot of negative sentiment when it comes to um, the uh, discrimination and racism. Um, but there's a lot of positive sentiment when the word Amy is used in relation to Samoan scientists and mm -hmm. podcasting. And I can pull all of that. So you're a spy. Okay, first thing everyone needs to know, privacy does not exist, okay? That's the first thing everyone needs to be fully aware of. There, unless you've, yeah. Yeah, when you're online, yes, yeah. I think people should have that, especially the youth of today should know that privacy doesn't exist. Unless you've got some crazy ass ability to remove all data history, all of your cookies mm. that are being left, all of the, your digital footprint not present on any social uh, social platforms. Yeah. Mm. And so why would you want to look at particular areas of the internet? Right. Yeah. So I want to, so Amy is hosting an event this weekend on Saturday. Mm -hmm. She wants to know every time those people that arrived at the event mentioned and you've basically released your podcast, you want to understand what were people talking about? Mm. Now you wouldn't be able to gather that data. No. So you'd say, hey, Julia, can you please look out for Amy, Someone Scientist podcast on Saturday. What's the date coming up? The 14th of December. Can you look at it between the hours of 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. and tell me, well, like basically find out how was I received? Right. I would be able to listen, we call it listening, into unvarnished real-time data for, I'm now an a, a, a attendee at your event. Yeah. I watch you speaking on the screen, talking about your podcast, I'm on Scientist, your journey, and I'm like, shit, she's awesome. I take a photo, post a tweet about it, yep. tag, 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 boom. Yeah. That pulls in, so then I can feed that back to you and be like, well, there were, you were mentioned 300 times. The sentiment was mostly positive. Wow. This is the comments that, this is the comment stream that I can see around you. The psychographic was mostly female. You may need to look at how you touch more of a male user base, because mm. most of the people that talked about you were females. Um, a lot of them were from Auckland, so if you wanted to basically penetrate the rest of New Zealand, you may look at needing to make this more available to people across New Zealand. Um, the ages, the age bracket is between 18 to 35, so if you're trying to tap into more of the Gen Zs, I would be looking at maybe making the event at different hours so Gen Zs could attend. And that's how we work together to use listening or being a spy for good. Right, right. But you're using technology skills to get all that AI. Um, AI in, and then you're using your communication skills Boom. Right, to tell the company what's happening. So a tool to. is not intelligent. It's the tool and the human that creates intelligence. Mm. That's the thing people, again, really need to understand. A tool alone is not able to speak to human beings. It just pumps out numbers and data. Yeah. 
you still need the human analysis to make it a powerful, intelligent tool. Mm. So did you learn those skills on site for the tech side? Yeah, Yeah. I learned that on the go. Yeah, I had some like really in-depth training with HP and with our vendor who supplies us with this tool. Um, And so I think one of the things that's held me in good stead is just curiosity, lifelong learning. You have to, you, you cannot believe that school finishes once you're out of uni. School oh never gosh, finishes. Yes. Yeah. Education never yes. is dismissed, okay? Yes. And that will mean you will be in great shape to go into the future. Wow. If you have that mindset, I love to learn, I'm open to learning, I'm ready mm. to learn. What's the job? I'll take the job because I'll learn the job. All good. Yeah. No stress. And like, that means you get more opportunities, you'll get further along the road. It means you'll be able to relate to the future when jobs change constantly as they are. You'll just be able to ride this wave. Mm. If you stay fixed, you're not going to make it. Wow. So I know technology is changing very quickly. So how do you see the, um, I guess, your role or where you fit into that development of technology in mm. the future? Oh, God, I don't know if I'm going to be contributing. I mean, I don't know. I uh, <laughs> I think for me, I'm just, my biggest um, priority is constantly reminding those that are making some more of that, those hard tech decisions. So like the actual coding of an algorithm, right? Mm-hmm. Like I can't do that. Yeah. But what I can do is be in the room and be ensuring that diversity is included. Got it. That we have, you know, a broad spectrum of data that we're putting into decision making that with this tool that we are using it for good that we're not always using it to like well we're not using it in a way that's you know jeopardizing mm. you know whatever it may be so being the voice of the human and humanity constantly with this tech world as it's progressing because it is and we have been progressing for progress's sake versus progress for all that's what we are right now. Wow. And, and it's, it's people are, are reminding us that, you know, social media hasn't, exa- like, as much as it's done good, it's done equal amounts of bad. Yes. It's fundamentally broken democracy in America and in the UK. Mm. Um, so keep that in mind as we're trying to, like, glorify and evangelize, I, think, I don't know if I've said that properly, <laughs> tech and progress and all these like, fancy advancements and improving, like, let's remind ourselves that this may not be the best thing. Just as when plastic came out as a new innovative material, mm. we are now looking back and going, holy crap, what have we done? Wow. It's the exact same thing. That was celebrated, remember? It was advancement, it was progress, it was innovation. So like when Facebook first came out, we were like absolutely loving it. And now people are like, I want nothing to do with Zuckerberg. You didn't know that at the time. You can Mm. only connect the dots looking back. That's a Steve Jobs quote. Mm. That's really interesting, just progressing to progress. I guess like for me, the first thing I thought about was like money, right? that really pushes the progress of technology, but you, uh, for your purpose, is to bring it back down, mm-hmm. say, hey, 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 what about everyone, the and, communities? And that's yeah. why I've come home, is to work on the digital divide and the tech gap that exists, because those that are most at risk from the advancement of technology are our people. Automation will fundamentally remove a lot of the jobs that exist today that our people have, and no one 
from what I can see, or, or there's not enough work being done to reskill our people and upskill them mm. so that they can have jobs in the future. So you mean robots like that could take um, like cleaning jobs or making that, burgers? Let's not say ah, let's not act like it's a fantasy. It's current. It's happening. It just hasn't hit everywhere yet. Mm. But it doesn't mean it's not actually happening in the now. In other countries it is. Factory jobs, uh, bus driving jobs, taxi driving jobs, all of this. Mm. You know, these are just some of the lawyers, doctors. Lawyers? Oh, yeah. Things about certain components of being a lawyer has now become automated. Whoa. Same with same with surgeons. Certain parts I can see that. Yeah. Uh, identifying um, diseases. Algorithms mm. do it faster than a human being. Like it's not again. And so I'm just taking low hanging fruit here. Like anything that's very repetitive can yeah. be automated. We know that. Um, and. Well, some people don't, but you know now. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I feel like we're kind of, we think, oh, I won't come to New Zealand. If it, that's so high tech. That's not us. But, but what, what, get, what grants us that luxury? What, what grants us that luxury of like, that's not us? Mm. What, because we're far away? Mm. It's, it's. If it doesn't happen tomorrow, it will happen the next day. And this is not to induce fear. For me, this is just being realist. I know yeah, I've got I, uh, fear on the, <laughs> the other conference that I went to. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is trying, not trying to, I, I honestly, this is just to try and safeguard because I'm worried and mm. I'm in the industry and I have a job and I'm thinking, I'm freaking out being like, why is, you know, by 2030, I think there's almost like 385 million job losses will happen in America. Those numbers are huge. In 2030, we're into 2020, that's 10 years away. Mm. Now we think about, so it's called human displacement. So if you wanna like look into it more, mm -hmm. that's the terminology, human displacements due to automation or due to technology. And the argument will go, but for every job lost, there'll be another job available. Mm. However, it doesn't caveat the privilege that a person needs to have in order to get the new job. Got it. You have Got to it. then spend money to reskill, upskill. Yes. You need access to services. You need, you need the yes. ability to support. And it's like, yeah, I get it. There's a lot more jobs that will be available. Mm. But those jobs are going to be different jobs. And that will then take a certain level of like resources to get a new job. Yes. So what does that mean for our people in New Zealand? I don't know yet. Mm. And that's why I'm pushing these conversations. I'm hoping to see, I know there's work that's happening and there's a lot of awareness work. You know, there's a lot of panels and, and events that are going on. I'm like, that's all great. But where's the work? Yes. Yeah. Like love yeah. a panel, love yeah. an event. <laughs> With nice food and all that other good stuff. Drinks. Yeah. Like, <laughs> You know, talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. Yeah. But I want to see how are you developing pipelines and pathways for people to be to actually have mobility into the present as much as it is the future. We talk about it in the, as though it's in the future, but it's not. It's here. Right. It's here. Right. Mm. So people who are wanting to, I guess, help upskill our communities and get them aware of 
the what is it automated technology well that's like the risk of digital exclusion is one one way you could think about it but yeah about um human displacement due to automation is one example yeah how how, if people want to um kind of upskill our communities or help in the tech area what what would be your (laughs) advice for them well i'm working on something on the side so i'm working on on a side gig to try and look at ways in which I can be more active in this. Um, And from that, I would definitely ask for anyone who's interested to reach out because this is something that I'm, I've obviously, I'm moving back from America to work on. Okay. That's my biggest why right now. And that's my, what I see as an act of service. That's very important. Um, Because you mentioned your purpose after mm-hmm. high school was communities and that's what led you to your studies so it's still your purpose now oh yeah. fundamentally and now i'm finally able to actually contribute in a meaningful mm. way you know like i can I, I can identify i have identified a problem a social issue i identify that i have a, an ability to contribute and for me personally it means i have an obligation to as well as my foundation always being set that purpose is what i want my career to be based on Mm. and now I'm coming to this coming of age you could almost say this next chapter Mm. where I'm really supporting anyone around me that's trying to do good like yourself and Mm. coming on here I'm mentoring I'm um, mentoring my old university and startup entrepreneurs I'm looking at co-founding a social enterprise that's focused on digital inclusion Mm. so a lot of these things I'm really trying to get very active in and just also trying to learn the soil before I plant the seed so a lot of what I'm doing right now as well is just trying to understand what are the real needs not how do I think I can help got it listen first exactly because that's what a lot of things go wrong when assumptions are made of I can help you I tell you what to do but you don't even know me (laughs) that happens a lot in sciences yeah like (sighs) yeah going back to the communities to help plant for instance kumara but they don't eat kumara you know it's yeah so right now i'm just trying to learn the soil so i think for i think passion and energy and like and and obviously contribution are huge things with the socialists i've just mentioned Mm -hmm. and i think there needs to be some like there needs to be the development of an actual strategy before it just starts actions 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 because you see a lot of noise right now Mm. it doesn't mean that it's aligned to a strategy right and a cohesive objective. Mm. It's just noise, which again, that's valuable to a certain extent, but as somebody who's been trained to be a strategist, um, tactics without strategy is the slowest route. To, the, tactics without strategy is the fastest route to defeat. Strategy was, without tactics is the noise before the defeat. And it's, a, it's from a book called The Art of War. I think I got it right. Yeah. But it's talking about you need both. You need the action, but it has to be aligned to the overall strategy of how you're going to get there and what you're, what you're actually working towards. Otherwise, all of these little pockets of like panel here, coding club there, little thing here, it's, yeah, they're all happening, but they're not coordinated. Mm. They're not part of a cohesive strategy to get to an aligned end goal. And so then it's not doubling down on the impact that it could have because it's not leaning on each other. Again, that's what it it all comes down to is collaboration and community. You have to be drawing on resources to move as a group forward. But that's naturally how we think as as indigenous people. But yeah, I think people, uh, it's just different cultures. They think, oh, we got our own thing here, Mm -hmm. our thing here. Yeah. But definitely power in numbers, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So people who are thinking about getting into, um, I guess, not even tech, but I just think like starting off on their journey into some, to the unknown, mm. what would be your advice to those people? You're going to think you probably can't do it at some point. That's going to be one thing I'll say. Mm. You're going to have just naturally, I mean, unless you have a, uh, I mean, if you don't have that, kudos to you. You're going to have moments of, can I really do this? Am I going to be able to do this? Am I good enough to do this? And you have to learn to move through it. Like, yes, you will feel it. I know I do and I still do have done and still do and I you have to learn to not let that get the and create a block to your success that's one thing I definitely talk about so if you are feeling that at any point in time in your journey you're not alone and you can still move through that and get to the other side mm. and it's only through overcoming it do you get stronger and stronger and stronger and you got through that through the support of your friends as well as your purpose. Yeah, and um, just yeah. honestly just doing some really strong self-work. Like a lot of it comes down to self-work, learning about how the mind works, learning about how I, like what journaling does, learning about like um, just, just how to coach yourself. You have to also have, so, so that would be one piece. The second thing is you have to have your own back, which ties into that mm. piece, right? Mm. You've got to have your own back. And put yourself forward for things. Take a rejection and get back up. Take an adversity. Take a fail and turn it into a win. Everything is learning at the end of the day. And then my third piece is, is, that, is, that, is that word, right? Learning, remaining, having that learner mindset constantly. Because that will keep you ahead in terms of walking into the unknown. As long as you keep on learning and you keep on taking it on board and you keep growing, you're doing mighty fine. Yeah, because I feel like, well, for me, I feel when I get my degree, oh, that's like a place of privilege. I don't need to do um, any more type of thing. Like in the workplace, I have studied to become a scientist and this is what I'm going to do. But no, it's always about going to spaces where you may not necessarily know what you're going to do, but you're going to learn. Yep. And you need to have the openness and willingness to learn. Yep. I think that's so important just for everyone really eh, oh. at any age and you will see some of the smartest people in the world right now <laughs> they will say what is one thing that 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 you would tell younger people is have a lifelong learning mindset be prepared because this the classroom the school of life is a classroom that's never dismissed and that's something that i think is just so critical and and it, again it will just hold you in great stead mm. Mm, definitely so if people want to have a chat with you or mm. get in contact, where yeah. can they contact you? LinkedIn's one, I guess. And Instagram is another one. Okay. Definitely like, hit me up on Instagram. Um, I think my handle is, yeah, I don't know. Do you want me to say it? Um, if you know it. If not, I can just link it. Yeah, maybe I'll link it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah cool. Yeah. So LinkedIn, Instagram. Yeah, okay, those are cool. the top two for sure. Cool. And any other last comments that you want to make? Oh, I'd really like just remind a lot of people here, especially that, you know, your culture is every part, every part of you and is worthy to stay with you as you move through different environments. And just holding on to that and reminding yourself that that makes you uniquely you. Mm. And that is so much a part of why you have such a, a reason to be in spaces, you know, like 
you are worthy, you are valid, you are valuable for that, for that uniqueness. And, and, and that by you holding on to your uniqueness, the ripple effect that that can have for someone else, that's what we need more of. Mm. Yeah, that, thank you. That's a really good reminder because the spaces that I have been in do not, I don't know, well, not necessarily welcome it, but are just not aware of mm. different people's uniqueness mm. yeah so thank you thank you julia no thank you for having me it's been awesome thank you so much for listening to the salmon scientist podcast if you have any more questions or comments just message me on instagram facebook twitter linkedin and youtube and please ask me questions i'm here to help